I really do believe as someone who's taken part to these protests and who has covered uh, the previous ones, I do believe that this time feels different in the numbers and how it's spread and how decentralized it is. Also, uh, there is no leadership, which I think is freaking awesome. to be here. You feel that the anger is real, that everyone has a say in these protests, and I really feel that this is different from what we previously had. Mm -hmm. And the lack of leadership stands out. The lack of leadership and the lack of Beirut being the center of it. Right. Uh, because in 2015, most of the protests happened in Beirut. Some of them happened in Akkar and Nami. Yeah. But Beirut is not leading this, and yeah. I think this is one of the biggest things of this uh, movement, this, these protests, mm -hmm. and uh, which makes me believe that hope is possible for at least for later on. And do you think the fact that you have demonstrations that are in unison, whether they're in Tripoli or in Nabati, in Beirut, on the highway, in the mountains, do you sense that everyone is protesting on the same thing? Or do you think there are different issues affecting different parts of the country? And just as an example, the inhabitants of Tripoli and the inhabitants of Nabati, do you think they're both trying to achieve the same goal? And I mean this in, not in a, uh, I mean, I'm not talking about the nitpicking of each geography, I'm talking about just the demands of the average demonstrator. I think that the anger and frustration is the same for everyone. Mm. Uh, we're all impacted by uh, the decades of um, of just sheer corruption and, and, cap and uh, unprofessionalism and just the lack of care. Mm. Uh, and I really believe that we all have this will and, and, and anger to get rid of the people leading us. Yep. So uh, specific demands, I'm sure that each region has different, some different demands that are linked to their cities, to their region, which is completely normal. Yep. But I really feel that there's a, a communicated anger, uh, disorganized anger, um, and real anger that uh, that is just finally just out there. I like the disorganized anger. That, to me, sounds like that the best thing for change is not just lack of leadership, but the fact that it's fluid, and that there's a fluidity that hasn't ceased in the last five weeks. And do you sense that this stems from the way people are communicating about these protests? In other words, the fact that both of us are refreshing our phones regularly and seeking updates that are seconds apart. Do you think that adds to the chaos of the moment, or do you think these are separate things altogether? I think they're uh, separate things. I think that the fact that there, this organ that there is uh, disconnect, disorganized mm -hmm. uh, chaos, um, just 
makes it possible for us to have all the demands that have been taken from us in the past few years. Mm-hmm. And just so there is space to ask for political change. There is space also to uh, to have them take care of environmental issues, to um, take care of, to deal with unemployment, economic issues, to deal with inequality, to deal with the kafala system, to mm-hmm. deal with um, women's rights uh, and all of these things and uh, and and I really feel that also the chaos that we might feel with those with the refreshing uh, our Twitter um, feed for instance it seems like everyone is doing it all the time everyone is doing it all the time just because something is happening all the time and yeah. whenever mm. things get quieter and calmer something unexpected happens just like two weeks ago I personally thought that the movement was declining declining, disappearing uh, losing its momentum Mm. suddenly out of nowhere out of the blues we had the our students uh, taking yes. those streets right. and I would have never thought I would have never dreamed of having this mm. as a student as a university student having and having them organizing themselves mm-hmm. and being so uh, clear-minded um, and so smart about uh, yes. about their protests about their sit-ins about what they wanted and, and mm. coordinating with each other so in a sense it's not really disorganized it's just that it's so localized that every community is taking it upon themselves whether it's students or whether it's for that matter any youth or disenfranchised group mm. for that matter that they are that it's really a ground up it's a bottom-up initiative. Yeah, definitely. And mm. if they want to organize, they do organize at the same time, mm-hmm. not just regionally. And it showed with the students when a group of students from Balaman decided to go to Uzak, LAU, yeah. and AUB, and eventually to uh, to uh, Martyr Square. Mm-hmm. Um, so if people do want to coordinate, they do so. And if they don't feel like doing it, they do their own thing. Yeah. And I want to just, I mean, from a bird's-eye view, the communication that we're seeing is mostly through, I assume, social media, yeah. or for that matter, WhatsApp. And do you and other apps and other apps too, not mm-hmm. just WhatsApp. Other things are happening on other more s- secured apps. I've heard Signal being Signal and Telegram. And Telegram. Mm-hmm. And do you think that, in a way, that is the catalyst for what we're seeing? That people are organizing mostly through their phones and therefore it's sort of difficult to curtail that you don't see an end to it which is usually I mean we've we've gotten accustomed to these protests just being not not only cracked down on but that that kind of communication just dwindles Mm -hmm. and here it seems like it's ongoing I don't think that's the only thing because Mm -hmm. we did have what's up in 2015 Uh, it's several um, elements I think, um, because we did use WhatsApp, but in t- 2015, a group of people were taking the decisions and we mm. were following. I see. Whereas now, if we feel like having a march, we just contact several groups and we just do it. So it goes back to the lack of leadership. Exactly. And having enough space for everyone. And nobody tries to stop others to have their own march. Um, yeah. 
Some people wanted to have a march about um, demanding for, uh, a secular state. What happened? Yeah. Uh, others had um, were demanding for migrant workers' rights. It happened too. Mm-hmm. And so that's the beauty of it. So there's enough space for every group to organize and and speak their mind and express. Themselves. There's enough anger and <laughs> there are enough demands and the, our leadership was. Uh, Um, amazing at not doing anything and not answering to any of those demands that we have hundreds and hundreds of them. You know, I'm curious, the, these, the, the areas you're talking about that are not usually focused on in traditional media, and it could be just simple things, whether they're disenfranchised groups or the economic burden that we've seen sort of exponentially grow the past decade. But do you sense that there's a role that was in a sense, by citizen journalism of all types, whether it's the person live recording on their Instagram feed or whether it's something a little more structured. That could be megaphone news mm-hmm. or, for that matter, an outlet you helped co-found, Mashallah News. Do you sense that there is there was a yearning for that and that that space was filled because those areas were not covered? Definitely. I think, um, but that's been happening since 2011. Mm-hmm. Like The impact of the Arab Spring in 2011 was having citizen journalists covering what, whatever was happening on the ground and having Twitter as a tool for that and mm-hmm. Facebook, mm-hmm. but mostly Twitter. Um, I think that the, and it happened also in, uh, in 2015, where mm-hmm. several bloggers um, covered uh, everything that happened on the ground. And this we did that here in Lebanon. In Lebanon. Yeah, yeah. And that's what we did with Mashallah. 2015. Whereas now, I feel that having new medium is the difference. Mm. So, for instance, when you have awesome people like Megaphone publishing videos, and so using the same method that traditional media has been using right. has had more impact. So, right. having videos that get, can compete with the videos that uh, traditional TV stations have been uh, doing and producing. And I think that's an even bigger, has a bigger impact. And another thing also is the language. Um, The language language used Mm -hmm. is Arabic now. And that's a huge difference from what was done in 2015. Mm. Um, The new media outlets, alternative media outlets, are publishing in Arabic using the language of all the traditional media outlets here. And I think that has a huge impact. Instead of just focusing on um, those who just read English or speak English or French. And that the audience therefore has grown exponentially. Exactly, and it shows with people like Megaphone. You know, and it's interesting because I actually interviewed Jean Essay, Mm -hmm. part of Megaphone News, and I interviewed Nayla Twaini. And these are, I mean, they're all in the same, they're in the same orbit, which is media, but they're, they're both covering the same topic. And you have a traditional outlet, and then you have a fairly new one. And I sensed that the, the fact that both are using social media exposes a severe disadvantage to the old ways of accessing news. And then this time around, I think I've only watched TV channels to see those images at home. And it'll be on mute, and I'm just watching yeah. that split screen. And then you would have a point of view, also, exactly. even without listening. But I almost deliberately don't want to hear the mm. analysis. I'd rather look at my phone and read the analysis. And do you get the information that you seek that way, too? Is it more of just visual aid with traditional outlets and then in-depth analysis from more substantial 
attempts, whether it's a citizen journalist or for that matter, it could be a traditional outlet taking its time to produce content. But I think we're dismissing social media at the same time because you have all kinds of experts and analysts who are publishing on Twitter, for instance, right. um, like uh, a summarized uh, explanation of whatever is happening with the banks or whatever is happening with the economy, which I think is very interesting. Uh, but to go back to your question about the difference between traditional media and uh, newer outlets, I think that the beauty of alternative media is that they are at least for some of them they're independent and so they get yeah. to pick right. um, the topics that they want to cover mm. and mm, some of them are activists too on the ground and they see what is missing right. from the coverage coming from traditional media outlets and that's uh, that's that's been extremely interesting. And in a sense, both spheres are overlapping now on the street because you can have an activist and a citizen journalist, and they're doing the same thing. They're supporting change and covering it at the same time. Yeah, they don't need to be the same, but yeah, right. you you do have this overlap, yeah. which is interesting also to us in order to have the perspective of people on the streets mm -hmm. and of what is what is expected from media outlets too, right. uh, coming from people protesting. You know, I think I first met you maybe about eight years <laughs> ago, or it could be, yeah. could be even longer. And I have a fond memory of you holding a newspaper called Mashallah News. <laughs> that was a magazine, right? <laughs> we had a magazine at the time. Oh, sorry, like, from my, yeah, I didn't, well, I meant just a, there was a <laughs> yeah. physical yeah. form of it. And God, I miss those, yeah. Times have changed. Yeah. And I do remember looking at it and reading it, but to think of that as the way I would access information today is alien. Yeah. And I just want your perspective as someone who co-founded Mashallah News and is still involved in Mashallah News. Do you see that you yourself, your role as a, as a journalist, has it in a way changed dramatically with technology? And do you find your own coverage changing as a result? And I, I don't mean the principles have changed, but the content mm -hmm. you produce or the focus, has it, has it had to sort of mend itself to technology? Um, because we have a lot of, we have access to a lot of things online now, mm. um, people do not have as much time as they used to before to right. read longer form uh, articles, to spend half an hour reading something in depth. To unfold mashallah news. <laughs> <laughs> but I miss those times. I, we, the thing is, I'm asking you because I, yeah. do, I do as well. And we try, we still try to publish longer form things mm. Mm. just because we enjoy doing them at the same time, but in the form of storytelling. Right. Um, we don't publish as much as we used to eight years ago. These were the good times <laughs> as students. Um, so we had more time on our hands. Sure. Trying to figure out a model at the time and we weren't too sure what we wanted to do with it. Mm. And we wanted to experiment. So uh, we were a team that loved print Mm -hmm. printed things. So we printed that magazine. Yeah. We uh, published a book um, and because we love it and we miss it. 
but at the same time, things have changed, and the audience has changed in general. And you said earlier the patience of the audience has shifted too. Exactly. But do you sense that there's a potential disadvantage here, that the expectations are perhaps too quick and the analysis is not deep enough, where you could have mistakes, and that could be either factual errors or people yeah. dismissing content for what sounds right or what feels right for the moment? But a good journalist stays a good journalist. Mm -hmm. So you know, no matter how they present their work, yeah. the work has, like the research has to be done right. beforehand and not just publish something on the spot just because they want to be the first people yes. publishing, which is a huge danger, I think, for, for journalism and which is why sometimes people mistake real journalists with just people who want to make a buzz. Yeah. Uh, or who just publish uh, things that would do great online because they're they clickbaits or they go yeah. viral yeah. for whatever reason it is. Right. But I don't think that the work changes um, if it's not going to be long uh, form um, stories, written stories. You have videos. Um, and the, still, work is, yeah. is done for the research, for producing something good. And I really do believe that readers or viewers would would uh, be able to differentiate between um, a piece that has taken a journalist five minutes to put together yeah. or a um, substantial amount of time. But you don't feel that pressure to sort of produce something that is numbers worthy rather than content. That's exactly why Mashallah is not doing great. <laughs> we, we just, it's a project that we're very passionate about and so we decided not to uh, change the, its score. Yeah. And so we still publish things that we love. We still publish things that we think should be uh, covered. Yeah. Um, we still do projects that we care about. Yeah. And that's why it's uh, our project that stays on the side for now. And we all have something else uh, no, But I'm glad on. you've stuck to those original principles. Yeah. Because I think the anyone that wants that doesn't have to be too in-depth but just something that's a little more substantial and maybe vetted, I think does add nuance to the conversation and yeah, it helps. definitely. I feel that there's a generation that will do a better job than mm -hmm. we did yeah. and is more mature than we were 10 years ago. My parents would never, ever join any of the protests before. They would try to convince me not to go, right. exactly. not to protest. They would try to make me promise that. Yeah. And two weeks ago, my mom joined me uh, on her second day being in Lebanon because they that. wanted to be there. There was a nice photo you shared. I yeah. think it was on Facebook. Yeah. And if, if I, I hope I got this right. It was her first protest. Ever. Yeah. And that was quite nice that she shared it with you. Yeah. That you in a way, you're perhaps part of the reason she was demonstrating, too. I hope so. Um, me and my siblings. And I think the fact that because my parents don't live in Lebanon, they yeah. spent their time on television trying to follow the news. And they were very worried in the first two days of the protests. And then there was this switch um, of hearing angry people, but people... Uh, pushing for something better. And, and generations that are both demanding the same thing. Exactly. And there's no... I like that there's no sensitivity that 
you have the youth coming up with very interesting chants that at, at times, I mean, it would be unthinkable to talk about someone's mom that way 10 yeah. years ago. And now we take it for granted. And then it switched, though. And then, yeah. and that's the beauty also of the protest is yeah. that some activists work very hard on switching the conversation, yeah. uh, going away from those insults, yeah. and just having something even more constructive, even stronger, yes. than just insulting a mother. Hearing those chants in places like Palbak, yes. Akka, Trabros, yeah. um, that's been uh, new yeah. uh, as, as an observer or, or also as an, uh, someone who has been protesting for years yeah. and, um, and having mostly women lead those chants. And that was going to be a point I wanted to ask you. Do, do you sense that something is shifting because of the revolution? We do see images of women on the streets, we hear women, we see it, and there are protests led by women. Do you think structural changes are on the horizon because of this moment? Do you think women's right to pass nationality is on the horizon? Do you see divorce courts uh, improving, perhaps more fair, more just for women? And you know, I'll take it one step further. Disenfranchised groups in general, do you sense that there is something there, that something is moving in the right direction? I hope so. <laughs> but it, just one thing, I don't think that it's a new thing that women are on the forefront mm. of yeah. things happening in Lebanon. Yeah. Um, if you go to villages, women are the ones leading the households. Uh, they're the ones uh, making things happen. It's just that on paper, we don't have the same rights, which right. is ridiculous. Um, I don't feel institutionally things will change if there aren't more women in power uh, and right. adding this perspective. Uh, so more women representative? In general, in general, everywhere. Yeah. It's not as if we don't have those amazing women on the ground yeah. being in all, in all kinds of fields, expertise, um, activists and non-activists, um, teachers, um, we have really kick-ass women here. So let's assume and the strength is there despite the revolution, that there is there is true strength and not, and it should be taken seriously, that yeah. women are central anyway, it doesn't yeah. matter. But the other things that you referenced, those those laws, the, the structure itself, do you see it bending as a result of this new push? Or is it something that has to be addressed separately altogether? No, I don't think it should be addressed separately. I think it's part of the change that everyone is asking for. Mm. We're asking for uh, reforms in social reforms. We're asking yeah. for economic reforms. We're asking for uh, political reforms. And all of these incorporate, we can't yes. separate gender issues from all of these re uh, reforms. Right. It right. just doesn't make sense. We're half of the population at the same yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're part of it, inherently part mm. of it. And that's how I perceive it. Uh, Do you think this is in a way a, 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 more, a more powerful way because it's all being addressed at once? I think so. Mm. I think so, and I think that this time people are less ready to um, to accept less. Yeah. And uh, that's, so that's a nice way of putting yeah. it. You know, there was a, a, a Syrian journalist that I've known for a few years now, 
And he told me the last few weeks, it was the first time he loved Lebanon. And he explained this, the, this true emotion that he felt so comfortable chanting among protesters. And he wasn't being judged for anything other than demanding something better. And he felt, he, I think he fell in love with Lebanon because of the revolution. And I think there's hints of all types of groups that felt marginalized yeah. that are now feeling less marginalized. Yeah, and definitely. Yeah. I, I think we've all fallen in love with the country uh, yeah. more than we ever were. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, some people felt marginalized by the protests and we have to find a way to include them again. Well, since you brought this up, I'd like to, I, I mean, since I wouldn't put this on you in, 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 uh, in other ways since you're addressing it, what are the ways to address that concern? Because I, I have wondered that myself. Aside from the sincere chants that we heard on the street as a reaction, yeah. which was, and it seemed like there was no appetite for violence and that those yeah. chants did save the moment. The tents were put back within hours. Yeah. How do you address that issue? We're all facing economic and financial issues. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're all on, on the same ship. And um, the people who got us there are our leadership as a whole. Mm -hmm. I don't see any exception in it. Mm -hmm. And I think that some people felt left out. Um, I don't know if it has to do with also how like, the media that we have access to, um, how divisive sometimes media can be, traditional media can be. Um, Social media has been a plus, but also a bad thing, and spreading rumors, right. and spreading um, unproven things, and spreading random voice notes that weren't attributed to anyone, or attributed to everyone at the same time, depending on who was sending it. Yeah. And I think that really played a role also. And so, so with in information does play it plays a it plays a central role. Mm. Uh, um, regardless of whether it's media outlets or information as a whole through social media and uh, the communication tools that we use. Mm -hmm. And so since we're learning from every single movement and every single protest, I'm wondering how we can learn and do better for our for the future. So in that sense, the role of an outlet, whether it's Mashallah News or any alternative media source or any citizen or any citizen that it, it in a sense now it, there's a bigger purpose and that it's in a sense curtailing the negative aspects of misinformation yeah I think not just that but how do we fight that how do we uh, cover better how yeah. do we reach to people who wouldn't have access to these kind of media outlets just because uh, they don't like yeah. I, I don't necessarily have access to all the perspectives and uh, and we know that social media um, works in bubbles and if you're staying in a bubble you'll stay in that bubble like right. you're, uh, if you're not searching uh, manually yeah. for other perspectives so we need to find other ways just 
another question about the workshops that Mashallah News yeah. is conducting. And before we started recording, you mentioned that there's three countries that, are, that participate in the workshops. And some are Lebanese, but mostly yeah. are Syrian and Palestinian. Um, we are doing uh, international exchange programs mm -hmm. and it happens to be between France, Germany and Lebanon just because the organizations that we collaborate with now mm -hmm. yeah. are based there. But um, each of and the participants live in each of those three countries. So we have Right. They don't need if they're living in Lebanon. They don't need to be Lebanese, and so they can be Palestinian. They can be Syrian. They in can Lebanon. be Pakistani. We right. had um, and Lebanese in mm -hmm. Lebanon, and for 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 instance, last year several of our participants living in Germany are Syrian, um, and so uh, that's the beauty of it. Also, right. to learn from each other and uh, learn also how to. Um, learn from our each other's perspectives and and think outside the box. Um, and sometimes we are not very aware as journalists that we stay in a, in, in our corner and we think that we're uh, objective when we're not. And this is the point of the goal. One of the goals of those of those workshops is to try to think of other perspectives, of other angles, of other ways of covering a topic. And does that mean approaching different communities or focusing on issues that are not... I mean, going back to the initial issue, which is issues that are not covered by mainstream outlets? Is yeah. that the focus of those? Yeah, we always try to find different ways. Mm -hmm. So the exchange programs have been focusing on migration, for instance. Yeah. So we want to try to find other ways of covering this topic um, to still have people interested in reading the stories or listening to the stories or um, yeah. viewing the videos that we produce mm -hmm. while still using the numbers that we have, uh, right. while making, um, being aware of the terminology, of, uh, of the impact that some words can have, or, uh, or the negative connotation that some words have that we're not very aware of when we use them, because we use them on a daily basis. But then we have to think of the reader at the same time, what are we trying to convey? And these words are, in a way, to alleviate concerns among readership, or is it just a journalistic issue that it's you It's a journalistic issue uh -huh. of just being aware of every word that we use. Right. Because sometimes we just use some words without really realizing that there are other options too. Like especially in, in very heavy um, topics or mm -hmm. topics that have that are very polarized also. Interesting. Um, I think this is I mean Although you were a bit hard on yourself with Michelle and News about the, but you're sticking to your principles in this yeah. in a real way that you're determined that content matters. No, no, definitely. And we, we as founders and editors, we really believe in what we do. Yeah. And and love this aspect of journalism at the same time. So that's why uh, we will be celebrating our 10-year anniversary next year. So oh, uh, there is a reason why it's still around, and we're still continuing our projects. Just to wrap it up, we don't know each other that well, but we've seen each <laughs> other a few times. Probably I can count them on one hand, I think, the number of times you've actually oh, encountered. I would use both hands. Oh, yeah, both okay. Hands? Somewhere in between, <laughs> depending on which night it was and how, how drunk maybe we were. Not three hands for sure. <laughs> but we've known each other for almost a decade. Yeah. And there's some perspective 
and I, I like key moments that we've run into. Whether it's opening Mashallah magazine, yeah. and that really dates us. Uh-huh. <laughs> or the last time we saw each other, which was six weeks ago. And it was, if I'm not mistaken, three days or four days before this revolution began. And we were having a conversation with mutual friends about how bad things were. And the fires were raging in the mountains. This is a few, maybe two or three days before the WhatsApp text was floated. I remember. And we had a candid conversation about the need to maybe step away a bit and not get too heartbroken. And that was the wrong conversation at Anis at mm. midnight because it def- yeah. it's a mood killer. Yeah. But it was an honest conversation. <laughs> <Guilty>. I think. <laughs> Sorry, I'm what? guilty of it. No, no, we like... were both talking. It's not like not, not one person's fault. <laughs> the beauty it kind of, of it is that everyone agreed with that topic too, with I that mean, like perspective. Were, I think four of us yeah. all sort of reaching a moment of it's we need just to leave. there's a problem, and yeah. I was I was telling you that I leave regularly anyway. Yeah. And. I wanted to get your emotional perspective now, six weeks later. It's nothing. It's just a month and a half. Yep. Do you feel the same way today that you did six weeks ago? Right now, no. Uh, but I have, at the same time, a love and hate relationship with this city. Mm. Um, city. But city and country, but I live in Beirut. I identify with Beirut. Mm. Um I don't share the same feeling that I did before, mm-hmm. like six weeks ago, but I'm scared of the end of that cycle, yeah. if, if it's going to get back to it or not. Right. And, um, and it's dangerous to be hopeful, yeah. uh, because heartbreak usually is, um, could be a direct consequence of being too hopeful. It's a staple of this uh, part of the world. But something yeah. had to happen. Something had to happen, and I'm so thankful that it did. Yeah. It couldn't, we couldn't continue that way. Nobody could. I so I'm glad it, it did. It was in the air without us realizing that we were reaching the tipping point. Yeah. I think we were, we felt everything was wrong, but I don't think any of us could have guessed that a WhatsApp yeah. text would push us It was over. a building up, uh, build, build up that lasted several months, though. Yeah. Uh, and it, that conversation that we had at the bar wasn't the first time that we had it. Uh, like, with random people, that sure. was the topic that many people shared, the feeling that a lot of people shared. Yeah, and, that's true. Um, yeah, something had to happen. I share the same emotional reaction, that I prefer caution to optimism. But I think it's okay to be hopeful. But I definitely do have a a different reaction today than I did six weeks ago. I don't know if, the same way you said it, it's hard to say, hard to tell where this will go. And a month from now it could degenerate or it could be in a better situation. It's just so fluid. But definitely has made me feel more and more like I belong to this place. Same here. I I feel I belong. I feel I have a place here. I feel I have a voice. And that 
everyone does too. And yeah. um, I mean, I had conversations with my coworkers a month and a half ago, um, discussing taking part to a protest. Huh. And I before was comp- or, before or, it, yeah. but after the fires. Yes, right. Um, and I was completely against taking part to any uh, uh, protests. And I had promised myself after 2015 that I wouldn't take part to because these kind were, of things because of the disappointment. Yes, yeah, yeah. And because we lost a lot of things in 2015. Um, and uh, a lot of the people who used to protest in 2015 left the country. And so I was completely against it. And the following day, I bumped into them in, uh, in Martyrs Square. So, uh, and I, I hid from the first one, yes. thinking that he would be the only person that I would bump into. But I, I so bumped into all the team. Back. They, no, no, I mean the people that I discussed, um, oh, my yes. coworkers, yes, um, yes. who, and then eventually we found each other yeah. in the protest. Yeah. But those who left, some of them came for 24 hours because they felt they had to be here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but whatever happens, I am hopeful about the next few years. I really believe that these protests, this movement, is building something that wasn't built before yeah. and is um, building a national uh, sense of unity and, and sense of belonging that a whole generation didn't feel before. Yeah. And, and so that makes me uh, just hopeful for later on, too. I think when we both look back on this moment, I think that's what we will remember the most. Yeah. The unity so. that, yeah. that we're not used to, and I hope yeah. it lasts. And people are archiving online right now yes. those moments, everything that has been published since the beginning of the protest. Yeah. And I think that would make a huge difference compared to the previous protests because we will have an archived memory of all of this. That's the only reason I'm doing this, is yeah. to memorialize this magical moment. So Misha, yeah. thank you for your time. Oh, thank you for inviting me.